You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. All right, you guys there? Matthew 1? Good. We're going to start in verse 18. This is a pretty famous passage of Scripture, just talking about the birth of Jesus. So let's read it, and we're going to get into it. So Matthew 1 starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And then um, this is Isaiah 7 that's being quoted in verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So the title of my message this morning is Arrival. Arrival. And uh, we're going to talk about one word, the whole message. We're going to focus on one word, and it's that word, Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And I contend to you, that the more you let that truth sink into your heart, sink into your spirit, the more you will walk with joy, the more you will walk with faith, the more you will walk with courage. The fact that God is with us is the secret to living a life of breakthrough, of territory taking, of seeing the miraculous, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, first of all, it, it is a little confusing. I feel like this angel just, I don't know, maybe had a bad day. I'm not sure. It's a little confusing because he said, you shall have a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Then a little bit later he says, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And it's like, okay, bro, which is it? So Joseph and Mary are like, what do we name this kid? I mean, he said two names. I'm, I don't know. We, don't, we can't get this wrong. It's the savior of earth. Got to pick, you know, choose wisely here. But the, the kind of secret is if you, if you look closely, it's the angel says, you shall call his name Jesus. So that was a commandment from the angel to Mary and Joseph. You shall call his name Jesus. Jesus means Yahweh saves. The name Jesus means God saves. Then the angel says, they shall call his name Emmanuel. So the little illustration here, I I don't know how many people are going to get this one. Who here knows the name George Herman Ruth? Couple. Okay. All right. So George Herman Ruth you probably know as Babe Ruth, okay? So his parents named him George Herman, but they called him the great Bambino, baby, the Colossus of Clout, the Sultan of Swing, the King of Crash, Babe Ruth. That's what they called him because of what he accomplished on the baseball field, diamond, whatever it is, baseball field, is that what you say? I don't know, love sports. So the angel says, you shall call his name Jesus, 
But when people see who he is, what he does, the way that he lives, the miracles that he does, the revelation he has, they will call him Emmanuel. Surely this is God with us. So those are my three points. God with us. And each one of those carries significant weight, significant things for us. And so point number one, God with us. Jesus is God. Now, you're at a Christian church. It probably doesn't surprise you that much that we would say something like that. It's one of the foundations of the Christian faith that Jesus is God. But I don't believe that it's a sort of a binary thing. Like you either believe it or you don't. There's degrees with which you believe it. And the more that you believe it, the more deeply you believe it, the more that that sinks into your spirit that this human being, Jesus Christ, was God himself, the more power it has in your life. Jesus is God. How do we know that? Well, for one, he said he was God. Okay, now, that may not carry a ton of weight. I mean, there's been a lot of psychos over history that have said they were God, so bear with me. But he did claim that he was God. And in John chapter 8, we're going to look at one little short passage, um, verses 56 through 58. This is an exchange that Jesus has with some uh, Jewish people in his day. And he says, and I'm, I don't have time to get into all the context, but he says, Your father Abraham, this is Jesus speaking, uh, rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And in verse 58, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was I am. Now that was so scandalous and profound that actually in verse 59, it says that the Jews he were with picked up stones to stone him. They were going to kill him. Okay. He said, before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say before Abraham was, I was. Like I've been around a little bit longer than Abraham. He said, before Abraham was, I am. There is no was to God. God only is. He had no start. He had no beginning. There is no point in the history of anything that God did not exist. So when Jesus said before Abraham was, I am, he's saying, I am God. Now, that's insane. If you were at the mall, if they ever open up ever again, one day, maybe, cancel, thank you, that's right, in Jesus' name, and you were at the food court and you were standing in line with your kids and some guy was like, hey, I just want you to know I'm God. You would be like, okay, yep, see you later. Come on, children, let's go. Let's get out of here. That would be crazy. You wouldn't, you would be like, this guy is nuts. But Jesus said, I am God. And what that does is it takes off of the table the idea that Jesus was a good man, a morally upstanding teacher, a great prophet. You can't say that. That, that does not compute because you have this man that says, I am God. Okay, I am God. So he's either right or he is the most egotistical maniac in the history of humankind. Those are the only two options. That's it. You can't just say he's a, it's, it's intellectually weak to just say, oh, he, you know, he's just a good teacher. You can't say that. You can't look at the things he said and say he was either a maniac or he really is God. He also forgave sins. Jesus would say, you know, before he heals somebody or as he heals somebody, take up your mat. Your sins are forgiven. Take up your mat and walk. Your sins are forgiven. Stretch out your hand, right? Now, 
It may not sound like that big of a deal, but it really is. So imagine, if you will, it's a little illustration here. Imagine Katie, my beautiful, sweet wife, gets up right now, walks over to Rudy, the Mexican cutie, and just bam, just socks him right in the face. She could. Katie's a wild card, man. You just be careful. Keep your eyes open. And then I go up to both of them and I say, Katie, I forgive you. Rudy's like, uh, what do you, what do you mean? I can't forgive a wrong that was not committed against me. Only Rudy can forgive Katie for punching him in the face. So when Jesus says, I forgive you of your sins, that is a monumental statement. He's saying, when you have sinned, when you have put other things before God, when you have made other things more ultimate than God, when you have gone your own way, done it, done your own thing, you were sinning against me because I am God. That is insane. Now, again, as I pointed out, there have been lots of people uh, or, you know, throughout history that have claimed to be God. That's not really, you know, there's a lot of psychos that have said some really crazy things. So just because Jesus has said, I am God, doesn't necessarily mean he was God. So the big convincer for me, what seals the deal is not that he said he was God, it's that everybody around him believed it. And not just like the 12 disciples, like the local, the early Christian church exploded faster than any religious movement ever exploded because people believed it. Okay. It's one thing to say you're God. It's another thing to convince people you actually are. That's a whole nother step. So I want to look at one guy, one guy's kind of journey to faith um, that I think is an amazing case study. And his name is James. Now, it's a little confusing because there's actually kind of two Jameses in Jesus's inner circle. There was James the apostle. There was an apostle named James. Then there's another James, the brother of Jesus. The younger brother of Jesus is also named James. He's the one who wrote the book of James. Comes right after Hebrews, okay? So that book, James, was written by James the brother of Jesus, not James the disciple, okay? Now, we're going to look at a couple passages. We're going to bounce around a little bit, so just, you know, you don't have to flip there. You can look at the screen. But uh, I want to show you where James started, okay? So in John chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, it says, After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers, James being one of them, his brothers uh, said, therefore said to him, depart from here and go into Judea that your disciples may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he seeks, while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Verse five, for even his brothers did not believe in him. James was mocking him saying, oh, you know, you do all these fancy miracles with your superpowers and the water into wine and all that stuff. Ooh, you know, if you really can, then how about you go to the Feast of the Tabernacles? There's going to be Jews from all over and you can put your powers on display for all the world to see. His brothers mocked him. James mocked Jesus, did not believe in him at all. Okay. Now, fast forward a bit. The book of James written after Jesus's death and resurrection James chapter one, verse one. Look at this, put it up on the screen for me. 
And he says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James started his book, his letter, and said, I, I'm James, that's me, and I am a slave to Jesus Christ. He is my master, he is my Lord. Okay? Now, who, how many of you have brothers or sisters? I'm sure a lot of you, hopefully more than that. Okay? Now, what would it take for you to bow down and worship your brother or your sister as Lord, as master, and say, I am, that'd be like Ashley Yeager, I am your slave. You are my Lord, my master, Ashley. Anything you say, no flipping way. <laughs> Do you know how big of a jump it is for James to say, my brother is a lunatic, to say, my brother is the Lord of the universe. I, he, I am his slave. He is my master. How do you get there? Oh, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 7. This is the Apostle Paul writing, and he says in verse 3, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, verse 4, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, which is Peter, then by the twelve. Verse 6, After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Verse 7, And after that he was seen by... James. So how do you go from my brother is a raving lunatic to my brother is the sovereign God himself? It's because he saw and met the resurrected Jesus Christ. He watched him be crucified on a cross. He watched him breathe his last breath. He watched them put him, his body into a tomb. He watched them roll a stone over it and then he met him again alive. That's how you go from my brother is a psycho to my brother is Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to me, James, 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 it's kind of morbid, but James died badly, okay? He was martyred. Um, he was actually, they called him James the Just um, because of his virtue. He was this unbelievably upright, moral Christian man. And he was actually appointed as the bishop of the Jerusalem church. He was over all of the churches in Jerusalem. Huge responsibility. And uh, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to him, and they took him up to the very top of the temple that was like three or four stories tall, and they held him on the edge, and they said, you have to recant. You are leading um, our Jewish brothers astray. You have to declare that Jesus is, is just a guy, that he is not God. And from the top of the temple, he said, Jesus Christ is Lord. There is no other way to heaven except through him. And they threw him off the temple. And he fell three or four stories, landed, broke both of his legs. And while he laid there maimed, he prayed for them. And he said, God, forgive them, for they know not what they do as they stoned him to death. How do you get there to have such courage? To have su it's because he had an experience with Jesus as God himself. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He's not just God. Jesus is God with us. He's God with us. Point number two, with. Now, you know, 
God's presence in the Old Testament was kind of could be a little weird at times, okay? He shows up in a burning bush. That's very strange. I've never seen a burning bush that was not consumed. In Job, it says that he was in the whirlwind. I don't even know what, what is, a, I don't know what a whirlwind is, okay? Then he, he spoke to somebody through a donkey, also very weird. So, and then Moses was like, hey, can I see you? And God was like, hmm, kind of. So I'm going to show you my back. And it's like, what's with all the mystery and all the confusion? The, in the Old Testament, the presence of God was, was this kind of shrouded thing. But in the New Testament, post-Jesus, in Colossians 1.15, the Apostle Paul writes that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. When you want to know what the all-powerful, unknowable creator is like, you look to Jesus. He is the image of of the invisible God. And the best, um, the best illustration I've ever heard for this concept was um, from an essay by C.S. Lewis called The Seeing Eye. Um, it's a, a good read. He wrote it in response to um, the Russian cosmonaut Yuri, I think it's pronounced Garganov, who was the very first man in space who said, I've been to space, or he said, I've been to the heavens and I saw no God there. And so this C.S. Lewis wrote this response and said, hey, you can't think of, of God like living on the second story and we're on the first story, okay? You can't think of God um, relating to things in the universe he made as if he was a thing in the universe he made. It's better to think of God, C.S. Lewis wrote, as an author and the universe and our world, the play. And so think about if you were in, you guys know Hamlet, written by William Shakespeare. So imagine you are a character in the play Hamlet, okay? And you have to go and tell Hamlet, who is a character in William Shakespeare's play, about William Shakespeare. Think about how hard that would be. So you go up, you say, hey, Hamlet, there's this guy named, well, not, not really a guy. He's, he's, he's William Shakespeare, he, and, and then Hamlet says, okay, well, is he like a character like us? It's like, well... No, he's not really a character per se. I mean, he's kind of like us, but he kind of is like outside of us. And everything that we, we see here and all, you know, all these scenes, he kind of came up with it. He's sort of orchestrating all of it. Like, think about how difficult it would be to describe the creator if you're part of the creation. And what C.S. Lewis is saying is that the only way that we could really get to know William Shakespeare is if William Shakespeare wrote himself into the play as a character in Hamlet. And that's exactly what God has done in Jesus Christ. The, the creator of everything wrote himself into the play in the form of a man named Jesus Christ. He is God with us. And all of a sudden, the presence of God becomes accessible to us. And the Bible is filled with this idea that God is with us. Psalm 23, the most famous psalm says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Psalm 91 says, I will be with you in your day of trouble. Joshua 1.9 says, Be strong and courageous, for I am with you. Isaiah 41, Fear not, for I am with you. Matthew in, uh, Jesus said in the, the Great Commission, uh, make disciples of all nations, baptize, and I am with you always, even till the end of the age. John 14, you know him and he dwells with you. And you, you, know, you may say, well, hold on, wait, wait, wait. some of those are from the Old Testament, buddy. It's pre-Jesus. 
So how could God have been with them without Jesus? Well, your powers of observation are very astute, but you are no match for God Almighty. See, God, in, God exists outside of time, okay? So God is able to dispense the effects of Jesus coming before Jesus has actually come. So these men in the Old Testament, all the, the prophets and Isaiah and Joshua and David and Moses and all these men, they believed in the future coming of a Messiah. They put their hope, their trust, their faith in that. And because they put their faith in the idea that the Messiah was gonna come one day, God was able to dispense the effects of Jesus, his presence on them. God is with us, with us. Now, quick little English lesson as we wrap this second point up. So in English, with is what you call a preposition, okay? And a, the formal definition of a preposition is that it's a word that relates to other words. It describes a relationship. So what are the two things being related in the name Emmanuel? God and us. And the relationship is with. And it's not, there's a lot of other prepositions. It could, it could have been God for us, God over us, God upon us, but it's not. It's God with us. God with us. Now, um, about a week ago, I had a very odd freak medical episode. Last Saturday, so a week ago yesterday, I woke up, just kind of had this weird pain in my side. I'm getting a little older and older, so, you know, minor pains, and they just kind of come and go, you know, the older you get. And so I didn't think too much of it. I didn't say I was old. I said I'm older. I'm older than I was. We're all older than we were yesterday, right? We're all aging. Come on, give me a break here. So I felt this pain in my side and just didn't think too much of it. And um, all day Saturday, it kind of got worse and worse, and it, it kind of got more and more like, okay, this is, this is kind of feeling a little more, more and more strange. Then on Sunday morning, last week, I woke up and I was hurting. This super acute, very localized, searing pain in my left side. And it was that, I was like, okay, this is not normal. There is something askew here. So I was actually, I don't know if any of you guys noticed, but last Sunday, I was hurting. I was hobbling and thank, praise God, Katie preached because I would not have made it. I was like having to get up from the chair super slow and just trying to be tough and get through service. And then I, I, was, I, I told Katie after church, I'm like, Something is, something's not right here. And so I said, I'm gonna wake up Monday and if I wake up not any better, I gotta, I gotta go to the hospital. I mean, there's something not good. Woke up Monday and felt no better. I was like, okay, I gotta do it. So I, I drive myself to the hospital, get checked in. You know, you're at the emergency room and it takes like, five hours for them to do anything. And you're like, and I was the only person in the waiting room. So I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. But so I go back and, you know, I get to my little curtain room and, um, and I kind of, doctor comes in and kind of describe what's going on. And he said, yeah, man, that's probably, there's definitely something going on. So they're like, we need to get a CAT scan and let's get you an IV going. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> okay. And so um, they're wheel me back to get this CAT scan. And I go and get this CAT scan. And then, then they wheel you back to your little curtain room and you just kind of wait, you know? And I have to 
For any of you who have been ill and had to go to the hospital or had family members in the hospital over this cold and flu season, everything going on with COVID, I, my heart goes out to you. It was insane. Like, you're just there alone. And, like, no friends, no visitors. The person on my right sounded like they were dying. And I'm just like, goodness gracious. And so I'm sitting there just waiting on these results, you know? And I knew something was wrong. They're going to come back and say something. And so I, I'm, and then inevitably, you know, you're, I'm not really particularly a very worrisome guy, but you start to think things, you know? And I was like, man, what if it's something really wrong, like really serious? I mean, there's been stories, you know, of young guys having things go on and then your, your mind starts going all these crazy places and man, what am I going to do? I'm so young. And, um, and it was, I started to find myself getting really bent out of shape. But then this overwhelming peace came over me. And it was like, it didn't matter, no matter what. If it comes back and it's nothing, comes back and it's something really serious, I just felt it doesn't matter because he is with me. And I want you to hear me. The truth of Christianity is not that God's gonna keep you from all your problems and nothing bad's ever gonna happen to you. The Bible is actually pretty clear. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You're in it, you're going through it. He didn't say, Lord, you keep me from the valley of the shadow of death, thank you. He said, yea, though I walk through it, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Being a Christian does not mean that you don't suffer and nothing bad ever happens to you. What it means is as those things come up in your life, there's something different about the way that you handle it because you have the overwhelming sense of God's presence because he is with you. He is with you. Now, a little funny story, I realized at the 9 a.m. service, I just left that there and I moved on to the next point. I'm fine, I'm not dying, okay? Turns out I had something called epiploic appendagitis, which is kind of like where your intestines like sprain their ankle almost. You just get like a little injury and it just hurt. Literally it was, and listen, I'm not, I kind of make fun of people who think that the, de like the devil's responsible for everything. It's like I tripped over my shoelaces, it was the devil. It's like, no, you just didn't tie them, you know? But this was the stinking devil, okay? The stinking devil, because this little disease, very rare, very rarely happens, and there is no pre-existing causes, there are no lingering effects, there's no reason, and then there's nothing to even do. The doctor was like, I'll give you some Tylenol and just, just ride it out, buddy. For about seven days you're gonna be hurting, but then you'll be good. That's how I know is the devil. It's like, devil knew he couldn't do something serious to me because God's got a calling on my life, but it was like, he just tried to stick me with a stupid, anyway, so I left that out of the 9 a.m. and everybody came up to me and was like, dude, are you okay? What was the, anyway, so I'm fine. <laughs> the point is, is in this experience, I, I, I experienced the withness of God. And I want you to know that if you're a believer in him, you have access to that. It's God with us. And that's what gives us the strength to be courageous, to take on the giants in our world, not because we're so mighty and we're so tough and we've got it all together, but because he is with us. And lastly, it's not, it's God with us. Point three, us. It doesn't say God with me. It doesn't say you sh they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with me. And you know, it's just me and Jesus. Every morning I wake up and I pray in tongues for six hours and then I take 
communion and four times a day. And, and that's great if you do that. I mean, wow, that's good for you. That's amazing. But it's not God with me. And I know it sounds almost sacrilegious, but your relationship with God in some senses is not enough. Because God said it's God with us. We need God and we need each other. And that's why the doors of Awakened Church are open and why we're not gonna close. Because here in the house of God, you find both. You find the presence of God and you find us. And we need one another. I need you. It's God with us. And lastly, it's not, Angel didn't say, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with all. He didn't say that. And that's honestly one of people's big issues with Christianity is it's so exclusive. How can, how can Christians claim to have this absolute truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How? And in today's day and age where, you know, you, you don't judge me, I da-da-da-da, and, and, but he said God with us, not God with all. And so people say, you know, I'm sure you've heard it if, you, if you've been walking with, with God for some time and you hear these objections, well, you know, what about all the Muslims? Or what about the kid in Madagascar who's never, never had a chance to hear about Jesus? What about, you know, so-and-so who's lived this great moral life? They've, they've, they're, they're, they're awesome. They're a great person. Is, are they really going to get up to, you know, stand before God and God say, well, uh, there's a guy named Francis Schaeffer who's an American theologian and gave a great um, sort of Illustration. And he said, imagine that when everybody is born, they're born with a little invisible tape recorder around their neck. Now, tape recorder is kind of outdated. A lot of you youngsters are like, what is a tape recorder? Just pretend it's an iPhone with a voice memo, okay? So there's a magic iPhone that's invisible that hangs around your neck your whole life. And it only turns on and starts recording when you make a moral judgment about somebody else. So when you say, oh, man, he's just, he's so lazy. When you say, gosh, she is just such a gossip. Anytime you make a moral judgment about somebody else, voice memo turns on, grabs it, turns off. Then you get to heaven. You stand before God and, and you say, well, you know, you say, well, God, it's not fair. I didn't know the 10 commandments. I didn't, I didn't hear, ever hear about Jesus. I was a good person. I did good things. And God says, okay, maybe you're right. Maybe you didn't know the 10 commandments. Maybe nobody ever did tell you about Jesus. I won't judge you based on that. That's fair. I will judge you based on your standard. Can you live up to your own standard for everybody else around you? See, you have proven that you understand these principles because you have applied them to other people. So I'm just, I'm not gonna judge you on the 10 commandments. I'm not gonna judge you as, on whether or not you accept the G. I'll judge you on your standard for everybody else around you. How would we do? I would, I would do very poorly. I would do real bad, okay? I mean, when I'm merging onto a highway and I'm the person merging, I'm getting onto the highway and there's someone on the highway, you know, right here next to me, I'm like, I'm like come on, I have nowhere to go. The lane's running out, you have to let me in, right? But then if I'm this guy and I'm driving along and someone's merging, I'm like, well, I was here first. You know, I'm the one on the highway. You're the one trying to enter the highway. So you speed up, you speed down. I can't even live up to my own standards when I merge on a highway, let alone live a good, outstanding moral life. 
We can't even measure up to our own standards. And that's why we need God with us. The message of Christianity is that you are not good enough. I am not good enough, but we don't have to be. Jesus Christ came as a, an atoning sacrifice. It stood in the gap on our behalf so that when God looks at you, he doesn't look at all the things you've gotten wrong and all the times that you disobeyed him and you went your own way and you made other things ultimate and you put other things before him. He doesn't see that. He sees Jesus Christ and he calls you my son, my daughter. He's God with us. He's God with us. So I'd love it if you would uh, just bow your heads and close your eyes as we come to a, a close here. And maybe for you, that idea of God with us feels like the moon, feels like a thousand miles away. Maybe for you, it feels more like they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with them, or God with everybody else, but not me. And I want you to know today, it does not matter what you came in here with. Maybe you're angry at God because of some trauma in your life. Maybe you feel ashamed because you've disobeyed him so many times and you feel like there's no way that God would ever accept me. Well, listen, friend, no offense, but you're just not that bad, all right? Just go read your Bible. Every single Bible character worth his salt has done terrible, terrible, terrible things. Moses strangled somebody with his bare hands, okay? And he was God's great deliverer. So anything that you have done or whatever you're struggling with does not scare God. God's not angry at you. God is not displeased with you. He's looking down at you saying, here I am. He's God with us. And so if you feel far from him and you know that he's knocking on the door of your heart and, and you're ready to make that connection with him for the first time or maybe for the thousandth time, maybe, you, maybe you've, you know, been a Christian, but grew up in church, whatever the case may be, and you've fallen away, slipped away, life, maybe 2020 has kicked your butt and you just feel far from God this morning. He's calling you back to him. In Revelation 3, it says that he, Jesus, stands at the door of our heart and he knocks. And if we will answer him, he will come inside and he will dine with us. So is he knocking on the door of your heart this morning? If so, I wanna walk you through how to let him in, how to open the door. And it's simple, you don't have to go do a bunch of good deeds, you don't have to say a bunch of Hail Marys or Our Fathers or try to stack up a bunch of good deeds to outweigh your bad deeds, that's not how it works. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. So if that's you, I'm gonna just walk you through a very, very simple prayer. And this prayer is you opening the door to your heart as Jesus is knocking. So if that's you here, and here in a second, I'm gonna to count to three and I want you to just shoot your hand up so I can see it and I can know to include you in this closing prayer. So if that's you, you're in any one of those groups of people, never made, never opened the door of your heart ever. Maybe you did a long time ago and you've kind of, you know, kind of shoved Jesus back outside, but you know he's knocking on the door again, wanting to come back in, or you just feel far from him this morning. I want you to shoot up your hand. One, two, three. Who are awesome? I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand right there. Who else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Amazing, amazing. Got it, I got it, I see that hand. Anybody else needs to make that decision, my man? So proud of you, so proud of you, awesome. Anybody else needs to make that decision? 
Good. I'm so proud of each and every one. Can we just hop to our feet really, really quick and give a big round of applause for everybody that raised their hand? Come on. So proud of you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close the service here in about two minutes. Um, but uh, I, I said I'm going to walk you through a prayer, and I meant it, um, and I want to do that personally. Um, and so what I'm going to ask you to do, and, and I want you to be brave, and everyone's going to be shouting you down and cheering you on. If you did, raise your hand. And I know there was several of you. Um, I'm actually going to hop down off the stage, and I want to meet you. I want to shake your hand, and then I'm going to walk you through this prayer right down here at the front. So if you raise your hand, will you make your way down here? If you were sitting next to somebody that raised their hand, would you do me a favor and just offer to walk down here with them? But right now, can we give a big round of applause for everybody that raised their hand? Please come forward. I want to shake your hand. Come on, come on. Amazing. Yes, so proud of you. So proud of you. Come on, come on. I know. So good to meet you. Come on, God bless you. Who else? Awesome, awesome. Great. So proud of you. Come on down, come on down. My man. Yes. Pablo. Come on, hop right here. Come on, dude. Amazing. How are you, man? How are you doing, Good to see you, man. So proud of you guys. Man. What's up, my man? Good to see you. Man, I just uh, I want you to know that... Um, I didn't really grow up in church. I spent a whole first part of my life being a wild man. I was, I was pretty crazy, pretty nuts. And God brought me in after a, 20 years of really, really, really bad decisions and didn't condemn me, didn't shake his finger at me and said, my son, come. And everything changed. And here, here 15 years later, I'm the pastor of a church um, God has done the most. And I just want you to know that whatever it is, whatever yesterday looked like, tomorrow is going to be better. And that's actually the definition of hope. Hope is the idea that tomorrow is going to be better than today. And tomorrow is definitely going to be better than today. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you through a prayer. You guys are just going to repeat after me. And here's the cool thing about having God as your father is you get all these amazing brothers and sisters too. So everybody in here is going to pray this prayer right alongside you. They're going to say it louder than you so you don't feel like you're doing it all by yourself. So come on, everybody in the building, repeat this after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, come on, everybody in the building, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you today for sending Jesus on a rescue mission to save me. Today, I repent of my sins, and I know that you forgive me. Today I declare, you have a destiny for me. You have an adventure for me. You have a purpose for me. Heaven is my home. God is my father. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Come on, give a big round of applause for these amazing, brave, brave people. I'm so proud of you guys. So awesome. So hey, here's what we're gonna do quickly as we close the service if you look to my left your right we've got a team right here there's some amazing people standing behind you there's some of the greatest people in our church we just want to take a second and pray with you we're going to give you a gift we're going to give you a bible which is this book that i was reading from uh, we're also going to give you a little book called following jesus that was written by a pastor in our church and and it's just a, a book that just kind of outlines the basics of our faith you know sometimes you're kind of new to this and you're like okay where do i start and it's like so and so begat so and so and then so 
so-and-so begat so-and-so, and then so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so, and you're like, okay, I don't know what's with all the begatting. Well, this book will just kind of walk you through what it looks like. What does it mean to pray? How do I pray? What is the Bible? How do I read the Bible? So we want to get you that gift. So if you do me a favor, turn to your right, my left, and just head over there for just a couple quick minutes, and these guys are going to pray for you. Can we give them a big round of applause as they go? Come on. So amazing. Come on. The Bible says that all of heaven is rejoicing in Jesus' mighty name. Come on. So awesome. This is why we do church. This is why the church is the most essential institution on the planet. So just lift your hands high to heaven. I want to pray a blessing over you as we dismiss. God, I thank you for these amazing men and women. I thank you that you are God with us. And I thank you for the Eastlake campus of Awakened Church. And we declare right now that we have a mission, God, that we're gonna leave this place knowing that you are with us, that we don't go in our own might, in our own strength. And so whatever struggles, challenges, obstacles, diagnoses, reports, bills, whatever it is, God, we declare that we are more than conquerors because God is with us. God, we thank you for this amazing church, God, for your amazing presence, all you're doing in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.